On this episode of the Fostering Perspective podcast, we get the privilege of interviewing Ambition the Poet, the first, one and only, Black foster care poet in the United States. This interview was so exciting, guys. It was hype. I was enjoying the conversation. Now, Zoom and the internet did try to play us slightly. The internet was going in and out. However, interview went off without a hitch. So with no further ado, Ambition the Poet. So Ambition, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to have you on the Fostering Perspectives podcast. How are you doing today? Doing amazing today. How are you? Good to finally see you in the person and video. You be on Clubhouse talking through audio. I know, right? It's so different when you hear people's voices and then you get to put a name with the face and all of that good stuff and see them. So this is so very exciting. Guys, Ambition and I have done a lot of rooms on Clubhouse all around the Foster Hope Movement and bringing awareness to foster care. And I was so excited to have him on the podcast today just to talk a little bit about his stories, his engagement with the system a few of the projects that he's done as a result and where he's headed next. Um, and maybe some collaboration that we have going on um, during the month of May and Foster Care Awareness Month. So Ambition, go ahead. I know a little bit about yourself, but for my audience, tell us a little bit about yourself and your story. Yes. <laughs> my name is Ambition Port. I come from Philadelphia, uh, PA, um, but I was raised in a small town in South Jersey called Sickleville, New Jersey. Um, how I got the name Ambition was, uh, I don't know if y'all remember back on Facebook, but back in the day, you used to have like, used to be like, Keisha, can't nobody beat me, Johnson. And so yes. I name and I, I fell in love with the word Ambition. Back then, I loved the word Ambition. So I just was like, Brian, Mr. Ambition Harper. So many people started calling me that name, like Mr. Ambition. And so I got into uh, poetry and I really just kept the name. Um, I went through so many names back in the day as a, as a, as a rapper, uh, but <laughs> Ambition is the one that uh, stuck with me. What it is that I do is that um, I'm the first foster care poet in the history of the United States. And what that means is basically I'm a journalist for foster kids like me. There are some in the hood, there's some in the suburbs, and there's some in the countryside of each individual state. My job is just to make sure that I tell the stories of mine and those that are just like them, they will not have platforms. Some of them do not want to speak about their life because they're very private with it. And I understand that. But as for me, I have to go out and speak about their stories um, because they are the forgotten voices. And so I use my poetry um, to make sure that that narrative is, is explained in great detail. Um, and so that's what I do now is just a lot of poetry. Um, and then I'm on panels as the one I met you on. And I also do uh, foster care conferences which is basically allowing regular everyday Americans who have been through the foster care system in some way, whether they're a foster parent or a former foster care alum to speak about their stories and tell the world who they are. Awesome. That is so amazing. And yes, you're right. That is exactly how we met. So I'm just going to rewind a little bit and know that later on, I'm going to ask you about this rapping thing. Cause we've talked about the poetry, but never did you mention that you used to want to be a rapper. So we're going to talk about that too. But so for the majority of my audience, the majority of my audience is foster parents. And so we're really trying to bring awareness to foster care for foster parents and those that are engaged in the system. A lot of times for foster parents, the awareness that we have of foster care is, is so small. It's basically the circle of those that we interact with for our, for our youth in particular. So mm -hmm. tell me about how your involvement with foster care, what was your sort of story 
um, with foster care and how did your involvement with foster care lend itself to you for becoming the first black national foster care poet? Mm. All right. So my story, just in the quick, I try to keep it short. <laughs> right. On drugs, she got caught up in the 80s. Um, as you know, the 80s hit all black communities very hard um, in, in the inner cities. And so from there in, in 85, that's when I was born, um, I was put into foster care at, a, I think, around two. Um, that's debatable depending on who you talk to in the family. <laughs> but um, I, was put in, I was put into foster care. And from there, um, I went to a series of foster homes. Um, unfortunately, you know, my mom is still in the facility today. Um, she's not um, well. But um, however, one of the things um, going through the system in Philadelphia, I was bouncing around. And then um, I met my mom around eight to 10. Um, and then that's when um, that was the last foster home I was in. The last foster home I was in was in Nicetown, Philadelphia. My last foster parent, which is my who I call my mom today, my resource parent, um, took me from literally North Philly, and then I was raised in South Jersey. The crazy thing about this is, is that yeah, I came from literally poverty, and it felt like to me going straight from poverty to middle class overnight. And for uh, a foster child like me, that was very hard because I'm one, I'm struggling with my own identity as a person. And then I struggled with my own identity, something called, I call it location identity, right? So where am I really from? Am I from Philly or if I'm from Jersey? And I'm being bullied on both sides of the bridges because of where I live and then where I'm from. But I can't articulate it because I don't know how to articulate foster care at the age of 10. So um, kids are asking me why your mom is older and you look young. She looks more Indian, you're dark skinned. So it was a lot of um, bullying at that time. Um, and then at the time, I started to cultivate the stories of the people that were bullying me, being frustrated, writing that down. That turned into rap and, and really expressing myself through rap, because in my mom's house, you could not fight. You could only express yourself verbally. That turned me into writing stories and writing about others in my school that I probably shouldn't have been. <laughs> um, and got out I'll of never know. <laughs> yeah, I got out of control in high school. When I did rap, I didn't rap about you know, getting a lot of money. I rapped about the principle that I didn't like. I rapped about the girls that tried to play me. So it was a lot of, um, I used my voice in a different way, really as weaponizing it. Um, and as I got older, I'm learning that that's not how you use your gift. Um, and so then I got into poetry. And so that's kind of how I lend myself to poetry because I literally am just talking about everything that I experienced but in a poetic form and walking people through it. Um, so we started off with my childhood and at this time in my poetic career, we're, we're just now touching the surface of high school. So we get into the high school of my life. And that's how I lens it because what I understand is that poetry venues, rap venues, music, they're not really privy to the foster care system. And so I learned that me doing a foster care poem was not just for entertainment sakes, but it was for literally the awareness in the music and artist community that they had no idea. There were poets, rappers who had no idea the system exists. They heard of it, but not from the type of storytelling that I did. Right, and I absolutely agree. And I think that's so wonderful that you tell your story through poetry for so many reasons. A lot of times we find that you find it interesting to read things that are, you know, in smaller bite-sized form that they can really take in. But also it's just written in a way where people can resonate, right? 
and they can understand it. They can understand the flow. I've had the privilege and pleasure of hearing you recite a poem and hopefully we'll be able to hear you recite something today. But I think that that's amazing, not only to um, in regards to the poems and sharing your story, but also because you're exposing foster care to a platform of individuals and communities that were not aware. And so that's basically the premise of the, you know this podcast is to really make people become aware of foster care and not necessarily have all of the negative preconceived notions that individuals tend to have. So that's very exciting. So since you talked about your poetry, since you talked about your books, tell us a little bit more. So are all the books uh, compilations of your poems? Are some of them about your story? Tell us a little bit more about the so books that yeah, you've written. The, 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 thir- the three books I have out, which is from the tongue of a foster child, is a multiple different poems about different things, but from a foster child's tongue. So it's from my perspective because foster care has... Uh, molded me into a different type of person for me. So I, I wanted to make sure that in the three books, I give out my views on different things, dating, love, personal, and of course the foster care sections. In each of the three books, there's foster care sections that start to put together uh, different views and different stories from my mind in each book. Okay. So you have to get all three to get a, a, a lot of the childhood um, views of my foster care uh, life there. Now, in the next book I got coming out, in the next, um, in this, I'm dropping it, I'm going to release it. I'm going to tell you first, because by the time you drop this, <laughs> it, it's called A Foster Child's Interview. And a foster child's okay. interview is strictly foster care things from beginning to um, getting into the high school. So that way, um, because a lot of people were saying, well, the book doesn't really get into foster care because it was a little bit of foster care. And then I started talking about, you know, dating and other things. This book, Foster Child's Interview, is strictly me being interviewed from a journalist who is asking me about different parts of my life and what exactly happened. So we start off about what it's like to actually go to a foster home when you first get there. What did I see? We talk about that. We're going to talk about um, the um, the house and what it's like to sleep there at night. We also talk about um, what it's like to be a foster child and why I do it for them. But I'm talking to the journalist because I'm letting the journalist know there's all these different people in the foster care system that I have to talk about that we but that we didn't even touch yet. But that's laying the groundwork. Um, and I also talk about um, the one I talk about how it felt in high school and walking through and trying to just give you guys um, a little bit of the intro of high school years, why um, a city called Camden, um, we, we went to a school with different people from different areas, but there was a city in my um, particular area of Jersey called Camden. Um, and there's a lot of students there who didn't appreciate, didn't understand who I was because they really thought that I was from the suburbs, but they didn't really understand that I really came from the inner city of Philadelphia. But how do I explain that in high school? I don't have time to, okay. right? But but I tell you, I talk about the bullying that I endured because I was suburban. And now that they believe I have a better life, that I have no struggle. And so I kind of, the journalist is asking me questions and I'm answering them to walk you exactly through what it was like um, through my foster child to foster teen, foster teen years. So. 
That's very exciting. I cannot wait to receive my copy of the book. I'm actually going to get a few more so I can give some away to my listeners. I love to support, you know, those who come on the podcast and their authors. But I think that what you're talking about is very significant because for one, being Black in suburbia is always a challenge in and of itself. But having that extra added layer of being a foster child, I know that has to be tough. And even being a foster child to where you have your foster parents that in your case, lived in a different part of town. And so you had to learn to merge what you knew as your lifestyle, your upbringing, where you was from, where your culture was, what you were all about with this new place and space and these new people who did things differently. And how do I blend? How do I fit in? I'm already semi an outcast. So how do I make that, you know, merge and flow together? And, and you're black. So let's, let's talk about that for a second. At the time. So it's like, yeah, it was it was uh, one of the hardest things was the was the identity. Try- yes, and let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. So as we're as this podcast podcast is going to launch, it's actually going to be your birthday. So I'm going to tell you now, happy early birthday. Yeah. But also, we're nearing the end of what they've given us is Black History Month. Although we know Black history lives in us every single day. <laughs> but tell us, like, how was your experiences different? You know, being a, a Black foster youth as well as being one of the black first black foster poets, what has been your experiences intermixing the color component in that? Yeah, so all right, so the first question is more about me like growing up. So let me just make sure I'm careful. Is that yes? Good? So when you were growing up, yes. Yeah, it was hard to be black because I got a lot of pushback from the black people who already had money in the area. Okay. So they're like, yo, you're poor, you're, you're broke. You, you're not really like us. Wow, but I'm black. And so, so there's class, there's a class thing going on there, struggling with that. And then, I, I, but my mom is still going to Philly to church. So, but we're going to church in North Philly. So the people that go to the church are from North Philly. They're not where we are financially. So <laughs> I'm going to church, but I'm being bullied in the church because of the my blackness, but as it relates to my class. So it gets weird. Then um, as far as um, the neighborhood, racism didn't wasn't introduced to me that early um, because we played with the white kids. Everybody was fine until around 12. And I talked to my, it's so funny because I talked to my friend, uh, Tony, I love Tony McMurtry, shout out to him. Hey, Sonny. You remember? Do you remember? It was a friend. I can't. I won't say his name. But we we tried to like go to his house after like twelve. We could. He wouldn't come outside anymore. His parents would come to the door and say he's not coming out. That's it. What do you mean that's it? But we didn't understand then. And our other white friends at the time, they stopped coming outside. Like for some reason, either they moved or they stopped coming outside. That was the one tell time. And then when I got to high school, racism was, was showing its ugly head. It was it was out there in front. And that goes with all due respect to Latinos and white people. They did not integrate in our high school. It was separate. Um, there was a few that intermingled, but, you know, from South Jersey, a, a middle-class suburb, and the people that was in it, it was still separate. Um, and so that was hard to uh, navigate because I was confused on why this is happening. Because from a suburb perspective, you kind of get, um, like you said, you kind of get blinded because police brutality is not in my face. Racism is not like 
in that particular part of Jersey, they're not showing it. But when you get into the masses, that's where it gets to show. You know, in the, in the suburbs, if you're in the uh, uh, development, you know, hey, John, hey, you know, but when you get <laughs> into a massive stadium or politics get involved, hey, John, no, no, hey, back today. So <laughs> John don't know you. Right. In the community. Hey, but in front of everybody else, I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't know who he is now, you know, and that started to mess with me. And then, like you said, once I got a car with tenant windows in the suburbs, oh, I already knew what it was. That's oh, what <laughs> it's. And then, then that's when my mom and them started to really explain to me how this is going to go. Um, and, and, and really understanding it more. So it really was difficult, uh, getting a little bit older in, in the burbs. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's interesting that you talk about it then. So how has that translated now that you, you know, you have emerged from the system successfully, you are considered, you know, one of the first black African-American, um, foster care poets. How has that transition for you now being black, but being on a different platform, right? Having that level of success and being where you are today. What does that look like for you now in your space and place? Yeah, I love it. It's, it's, it's good. I get to show um, my talent and I get to talk about my life from that perspective. However, foster care, I don't get into debates with racism there. Um, okay. I let other people do it there. That's the one part of my life where I'm not, I'm like, not with the fist up. That area, I, I, I just want everybody to get help it's, it's, if it can. But I do know that there's some disparities we're not going to front. Again, you know, Black people are like the lagging indicator in all these sectors. But for foster care, I let it, I let it <laughs> rise. But there is some issues, but I don't fight on the front there. Um, but I, I, I do love it. I do like interacting with other foster care professionals. And there's so many more people that are in the fight um, trying to help. And so it is interesting. There is, um, I will say in the press, um, there's some issues going on there. Um, I think that sometimes they don't feel that foster care is important until we either handing out bags or we feeding the homeless foster kids. We got to do some type of publicity stunt. That's not what I'm doing. That's why I named it the Foster Child's Interview because I can't wait for you to think that it's newsworthy or to hang foster care on to the anchor of COVID. You know, the press thinks it's okay to, I, I have to anchor my story to something that is newsworthy of today. When these inner cities, and the people around the country understand that we have missing black girls. We have so many missing black girls. If we started to go in the numbers, it would make you cry. So, so I'm not interested in, in curating some story where this is America's children and these are America's black children um, being missing um, and incarcerated. The, the amount of foster kids who touch the system that make up the incarceration system will blow your mind. And then the homeless aspect. I mean, we, we have a triple threat here. And so yes. that's the one issue. As I get a little bit higher, I'm seeing some things not making sense. They would rather cover the crime of a foster child instead of covering the good story of a foster child. So if a foster kid gets murdered or 
he does something violent against his foster parent, that would be front page. But if I'm a foster child and I talk about the good things we're doing for foster care awareness, it's hard. I got to get $5,000 to get a PR campaign. That, that's, that something's not working there. And I think we need, as in the foster care profession, really take the task, our local press and national press, on some of the issues that need to be, you know, highlighted in our communities. I absolutely agree with you. And I'm glad that you called that out. You know, I started this podcast, Fostering Perspectives, to not only get the stories of individuals that were not just current, you know, or former foster youth, but just individuals that are engaged with the foster care system, but to also create awareness. But it's called Fostering Perspectives because I really actually wanted to highlight the perspectives of African-Americans that have been entangled and involved with the system. Because when we think about foster care and we think about African-American children or minority children that have to deal with the system, unfortunately, the statistics for them look even worse than the statistics (laughs) for those that are not minorities that are part of the system. And to your point, there are some children that are emerging from the foster care system that are going on to do great and wonderful and glorious things. However, the attention seems to lie with those that are not, you know, we can easily, like you said, give the attention for those that have done something negative or did not succeed or whatever that may be. But I want to start small with this podcast and hopefully grow it through this podcast, through the nonprofit, through just our awareness to bring light to those that are succeeding and also talk about ways that we can encourage and empower kids to succeed. So not just talk about it, but actually be about it. So I'm so glad you said that. And then going back to what you talked about with your foster mom, your foster mom being a very integral part in your life, in your change, in your upbringing. Let's talk about that for a second. How was she impactful for you? Um, To all the other foster parents that out here, what would you suggest to them? Or what is one word of encouragement, advice that you would give them as they are opening up their home to, um, to housing foster youth, but also to hopefully be a blessing to them and to change their life? I'm a big fan of, um, I, it's so good that you asked me that question. Foster parents, whatever your core principle is that you want your kid to know, I would keep it the same throughout the tenure. I could not, in my mind, I can't get off of self-love and who is this about? Do you love yourself? That was the only thing she kept asking me. It was the weirdest thing. I get to her house and this her name is Mrs. Pinkney. I, want, I just want to make sure that's always in uh, her legacy because she Wow, changed my life. The first thing, when I first got there, it was so instrumental to be able to open up a fridge with full of food, plentiful. You can get seconds. I can get what? Seconds. Thirds? Yes. <laughs> and it made me go crazy. Like, I'm running around the house like, there's no end to this. Like, I'm just excited. But she was instrumental in being in the car. Do you love yourself? I don't know. I don't believe in love. Why you don't believe in love, son? Well, nobody never took care of me. My own mom get rid of me. So why would somebody love me? Because I didn't believe in love in the first place. Like the word itself. Well, I'm a stranger to you at the beginning, but I loved you because, you know, God and Jesus loved me. Who, what are you talking about, lady? All I know is I come from the hood. It ain't nobody talking about. <laughs> I, I was in that church, but as you can see, nobody cares about that. And I'm out here, but I love you. Do you love yourself? No. Go outside. They're bullying me. Come back and I was, mom, they're bullying me. They, they said that I'm, I'm a foster kid. I'm dirty. I'm ashy because my hygiene wasn't that good. 
Listen, I, I don't I, think I, that was I, part of being a foster child. I think bro, that was a boy. <laughs> that's a boy thing. So I'm but my yeah. mind, oh, I'm dirty. I come back in the house. I'm dirty, mom. I'm I'm what are you talking about? You washed up this morning. I know, but they said that I'm dirty. Do you love yourself? What do you say about yourself? Go back outside. Go back outside. Come back in. Mom, in high school, I get to high school. They're still saying this. I, I, you know, now at this time I'm wearing blue contacts, pink polos, S curl. Like I'm, I'm definitely hating myself at this moment, right? I'm trying that, to be. That was the, the trend of the time. I got it. I had it. Ooh. Yes, those that remember Cameron. Um, thank you. You will understand the pink era, but, <laughs> but I was trying to find myself. And she kept saying, "Do I love myself?" Do I understand what I'm saying and what I'm doing to myself? Why are you wearing contacts? Your eyes are beautiful. I'm like, nah, they want the color. Look, they these girls is telling they want the hazels. I did everything for women. Everything. Trying to find love through the opposite sex. And the one thing I would tell foster care parents is to remember your principles to keep driving them. No matter how old I got, even though I got moved out, I started doing other things. My principle of do I love myself? And there's a standard no matter where I go that I can never cross. Number one, do you always I love God, Jesus Christ, and do you love yourself? And there's certain things that you just are not going to do because of your past. And so in forgiveness, forgiveness was she worked on me and I didn't forgive until 20 something. But because she laid that foundation about how forgiveness needed to be in my heart because she saw my anger. Even though it didn't work until literally 26, the principal for her saying, when are you going to forgive your mother? When are you going to forgive your family? And so guys, I would definitely tell the foster care parent that number one, drive home the principles and definitely drive home forgiveness in your child's heart because they are all struggling with forgiveness with the with their previous generation. It's, it's heartburn on us, heartburn over us every day. And even though we may seem good, we still have our nights and our days where the mental scar takes effect, yeah. That is so very true. I love what you said. You got me over here tearing because I just, you know, I can just so very deeply relate to that core concept of one, remembering your why. I wear it on my mantras every day to remember your why, because it is tough. It is a challenge. Sometimes, you know, it's just overwhelming. But if you always remember, why are you doing this? What is it about doing this that you want to affect, you know, change in somebody's heart, change in somebody's life. And that will always bring you back to why you're doing this and give you just a little more grace to make it through the day. But bigger than that was what you just talked about in regards to forgiveness. I, you know, I've struggled with that personally myself, which I think is probably why it's hit me so deep right now, you know, and when you don't take time to forgive, when you have the person there to be able to say, hey, I forgive you, or even just doing it for yourself, uh-huh. is not the same when that person is gone or when you don't have that opportunity anymore. So thank you for that. That is, that is wonderful. That is awesome to hear. So ambition, we're launching this, like I said before, on your birthday. Happy early birthday yes. to you. Yes. So tell us, what is ambition up to? Like, what can we find him doing these days? Tell us a little bit about some of your, your projects and your gigs you have going on. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad you said it because we're going to release uh, during the birthday week the pre-order for our Foster Child's interview. So we're going to start off with the book and then we're going to start off with walking through that with a series of videos um, to perform those actual 
and read, perform and read those poems so you could get the audio uh, with it as well. Then um, on February 20th, um, we're having the free poetry branding workshop. So that's free. That's through the uh, Camden County Library. Go on my Instagram and you'll see the link in my bio. That's free. Then that same week, <laughs> we're having my birthday celebration. That's in Jersey, um, down in Washington Township, Friars Mills. So if you want to come out and hear me do my poetry for my birthday, it's going to be amazing. Um, and you definitely can follow Mississippi's Blue so you can see it live. Then on that Saturday, I mean Friday, which is my birthday, the 26th, I'm going to be in Miami celebrating my what? dinner. <laughs> my dinner birthday party at Mr. Child. So if you want to fly in from wherever you're in the country and celebrate, you got to let me know because I got to add you to the reservation. Can I get a ticket, please? Can I get a reservation <laughs> and a ticket, please? It's black That's and amazing. We're going to be wearing black and gold and it's just going to be a celebration. Of course, I'm going to do a little, you know, a little speech, a little poem there in the middle of that fancy restaurant. Um, I'm so grateful um, to be uh, here and, to, and I love Miami. It's where I'm going next as far as moving and building the empire there. Um, and then we're gonna turn, I'm saying it here first. <laughs> we're gonna turn the end of the interviews of a foster child into a play. So um, we already talking to somebody to back that. That seems like that's that's a go. Um, there's some, you know, of course some funding and some logistics there as far as the people that wanna act in it, but um, it's gonna happen and um, I'm excited because I really want to show you guys in that type of form where it's going. Um, so, yep, that's all I, I have. Oh, of course, Ambasito. I was just about to say, I was like, was he going to lead into it or what? Bro, like, bro I got the put bag. It's on the way. <laughs> oh, we got so much going on. Um, Ambasito is having the Color Us campaign. That's, look, anybody that wants to reach out to me for free coloring worksheets, I'm sending them. Now, your kid has to color it and they got to be sent back. Make sure your kid, you know, in, in the photo is looking nice and happy so we can post <laughs> on, our, <laughs> or on our page, but it's called the Color Us Campaign. We're trying to get a thousand kids. Um, and then we're still looking for more brand ambassadors. Um, and hopefully we'll do a fashion show in Atlanta this year. I'm hoping that we can get that done definitely before the summer is over. I'm bringing it to Atlanta. It's, it's going down. So I'm really excited um, for that, for Ambacito. I want you to check it out. It's Ambacito by Harper.com. So hold are... on. I'm going to pause you real quick. Because you went into Ambacito so quick. And for those that aren't seeing the video, okay. tell them what is Ambacito. You got to Amb let them know what it is. But since this is Black History Month, let me just be very clear. Exactly. Because there is going to be some language changing depending on who's marketing it. But it is what it is. Ambassador by Harper is an African-American line, but it does not forget our brown people, but it is African-American first. So I just want to make sure everybody knows it's black and brown. It's all love. Just want to let you know that it's black first. Though. Now, <laughs> it was created for people who have brown skin all over the globe, which you'd be surprised. It's not just black and African di diaspora. It's different people, different parts of the globe who still have this brown skin. They, when they kids go to the store, they do not see brown skin characters that look like them. So I went in the lab and created a, um, a char characters that were brown skin and that had real stories. These are not happy. Absolutely. 
these are some of our foster kids. Um, Lito, who can't, he's, yep, she has a KI on her. KI is a foster, yeah, he's a foster kid. Um, he lives with his grandma. He has kinship um, care. His grandma is taking care of him because his mom, is, unfortunately, is in a bad situation. Lito, um, the one with the red head, um, he has red in his hair. He's half black and half Dominican. And what happens is, is that he's not, um, he struggles with speaking. Um, because his mom is uh, Spanish speaking. And so he's being bullied at school because of his accent. We are giving these kids real stories and overcoming stories of how they made it through um, their time in their class. Um, and as you see, we're going to talk about their story, how they overcame and what they're trying to be. Some of these kids are literally trying to be lawyers. Some of them are trying to be judges, firefighters, and also, of course, athletes and rappers so um we're going to really build this line based on what i see and what i hear you know not fluffing it up just real stories but you know letting you know letting our kids know that they can make it and overcome through what they read and what they wear as well so yeah it's so amazing i can tell you right now i have an 11 year old and he loves every piece <laughs> that he has I mean, he's so excited about it. It's going to be gifted to everyone, every little black boy that we have in the family and friends and family, just because it is so amazing to see a character that looks like them, that they resonate with. You know, they're into the anime. They see it. They resonate with it. And it's on something that they can wear and be tangible and represent proudly. And so for that, I thank you, because that is a challenge for us having, you know, young black males um, and just trying to find something that re is representative of them, the age, it doesn't cause them to grow up too fast and they can still relish in the age that they are. So I really appreciate that. And I thank you for being thoughtful and creative enough to come out with that line. Um, so yeah, just know it is loved. Guys, I I'll be giving Atlanta. you away. On the walk, he got a walk for me. He got the rocket for me. <laughs> oh, he is. Just, just wait till you get it. Because he doesn't try to squeeze up in his little bitty one too many times. And I was like, listen, can't wear that one right now. COVID doesn't got to you. <laughs> yes. But guys, those that are listening, I'm ordering some stuff so we can have some prizes and some giveaways. Definitely going to pre-order the book. So stay tuned. So, Ambition, if you don't mind, can you leave us with a poem? Yes. <laughs> awesome. I will do um, finally adopt. Let's do a good one. A good, you know, wholesome. A good one. I mean, they're all good, but they're I don't all know how you judge. Bro. They're all good. I spirit. <laughs> this year we're we're celebrating um, being adopted. Um, everyone um, does not get a chance to be adopted, um, and some age out. Some don't find the family. So I'm very. Um, I think about them when I do the poem because. I know how happy I was just for somebody to say that I can call the mom, like literally going to the court and saying like, yo, you're my family. You're good. You're done. Give me a new birth certificate. Um, it blew my mind away. And so I'm thankful that somebody came and got me and stayed around after I got over 18. Um, some people don't get that. So yeah, I wrote this because my mom was like, you know, you always write poems about the bad times. You need to write the poems about the good times. So I wanted okay. to <laughs> articulate what it felt like in so many ways of being adopted. Okay. Awesome. I had to be 14. The sun is starting to shine. Even the pigeons in Philly are being nice. The Red Robins is starting to trip on the Ben Franklin Bridge. See, 
desperately, that's where I used to live. My smile finally starts to get to the steroids. I can feel it starting to crack the chair legs. I'm so sorry. Let me back up. See, I'm in court right now and I'm about to be adopted. It took years to have somebody say that they love me, but these adoption papers would be the pearls of my concrete rules. See, my life was like a ransacked coffin and the human race was a bunch of soil. Then this is the foster kid to the homo sapiens finding his lost mineral. Thank you, God, for letting your angels several stacks of happiness into my dormitory. How could this foster kid as a grown man right now saying, thank you, Jesus. But I used to harbor the self-hate. That was like the wire to all my gargled explosions. And see, the devil really had like my family curse starting to sow the flag of dependence to my temple. I, had, I hated myself with a rusted label that really dangled from my forehead skin. See, I had so much leftover hurt that was cramped in Tupperware. You'd be surprised on how many depression sandwiches I had to eat as I faced defeat. But today, but today, I finally adopted. I knew that God with sanctified gloves would sanitize my dogma. I never knew that love had thrusters in the spirit of my foster mother will hover over my heart for eternity. And for those that don't understand, being adopted feels like a championship when you hold the trophy and your teammates are kayaking and champagne. I mean, honestly, y'all, I saw myself as a toddler corpse with motionless Chuck Tellers. But this day, this day, I'm feeling like I'm slobbering the clouds. I'm daydreaming in the courtroom. I'm reciting Biggie's lyrics while I'm in the backseat of a Jay-Z's Maybach. <laughs> and my name changes my crown covered in cookies and ice cream. At that time, I really did love fires. When I was a kid, nobody wanted me. But my new mom said, love myself for being alive and tell the devil that he's a liar. She was like, yo, tell the world that being adopted is like the heaven choir singing Marvin Sapp, I believe. While the angels are lighting candles, bobbing their heads to Kirk Franklin, the way I stopped on the devil's fingers. Thank you, God, for letting me escape my childhood demons who thought the best way to kill this future foster care poet was through attempted murder. Only I couldn't keep these memories captive in the locket. So my ministry is for the foster kids. So I thought I would share the day that I was adopted. Thank you. <laughs> I'm over here snapping. I'm like, okay, you got to snap. You can't clap. I'm holding the phone because we had technical difficulties. That was amazing. <laughs> amazing. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so much for coming to this podcast. I really, really, really appreciate you. I appreciate everything that you're doing and I appreciate what you stand for. So as we leave, there's one final question that I ask of each one of my guests. Since this podcast is fostering perspectives and we're talking about the foster care system from varying perspectives, from your perspective, what you've encountered, what you've endured, what you've overcome, what is one thing that you would like to see changed about the foster care system? Hmm. You know, we didn't talk about this. <laughs> just one. Just pick one. I know. I know. It's a mess. Just one. All right, so it's going to be mine. Uh, the, the one thing I want to say, I'm, I call myself the foster care historian. And I, again, I don't know why I had to call myself that because no one out there is talking about the foster care history. What do I mean by that ambition? Well, I didn't know that Anita Baker was a, was a foster care. Why would somebody tell me that? No one told me that. The Chanel bags that people wear. The woman Chanel, that was a foster care. Mike Tyson, mm -hmm also a foster kid. So Nelson Mandela, I mean, the list. Oprah Winfrey. Malcolm, Oprah, like how many? Simone Biles. I mean, we could go on. Yes, yes. So so, so I would like to see foster nationally 
being instituted about teaching foster care, foster parents, and in a lot of, um, you know, school systems as well. I'm so sorry that we need to have a history done on foster care. My mom had no idea that these celebrities were, were foster uh, care survivors, alum. And as a foster parent, you're just wanting to take care of the kid. You're, you're doing your 40 hours. You're Well, then the agencies, with all respect, we got to do a better job with equipping our foster care parents with extra knowledge. Son, I know that you feel bad about you being a foster kid, but you remember Malcolm X? Yes. Well, guess who? He was a... No, you know what? Let's go a little bit update because they don't understand that Malcolm X stuff because they know Kaepernick, Colin Kaepernick. I was you know, just going to say. Different ways that we can reach our foster care kids with understanding foster care history. We can even go deeper. Baby Yoda, um, a lot of the X-Men. If you remember X-Men, the cartoon, that was considered the group home for mutants. And their parents disowned them because of their power. Isn't that interesting that sometimes your parents, people disown you because of your gifts, but we'll talk about that on a different day. Um, whole another podcast. Whole another podcast. But this are, we can teach our kids through so many Disney stories that literally are foster care stories, but they don't market it that way. And they don't market themselves that way. So I think there's an opportunity there on the foster care history side that we really need to take the time and do. Um, and so if not, um, then I'm going to keep banging that drum and asking the History Channel to get behind me <laughs> and programming to make that happen, you know? But that's the thing uh-huh. that I... <laughs> awesome. And that, you know, that that's amazing because I do, you know, take some time to highlight those individuals, but not as often, of course, as we should. Um, so, yes, that is amazing that you bring that up as something that we should change to really be able to provide that enlightenment, empowerment to the youth to say, hey, this might be your circumstance in your situation for right now, but that is not your eternity, nor does it have to be your tomorrow or your future. There are so many people out here that have done gone on to do wonderful and great things. So, yes, I definitely appreciate that. So Ambition, again, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm excited for what's to come in our future and partnering and just bringing awareness to this cause. So one last note, let the people know where they can find you, your Instagram, Facebook, your social media handles, and I will be sure to put them in the show notes as well. Yes. Um, So you can find me on Ambition the Poet on Instagram, Ambition the Poet on Facebook, Ambition the Poet, if you Google it, Ambition to put on YouTube as well. And so, guys, please follow me. And for those that need coaching, for those that need help with poetry, you can also reach out to me, DM me, and email me at ambitionthepoet at gmail.com. I help with poetry coaching as well. I have a series of classes that's coming out with poetry branding and understanding um, how to sound and use body language with poetry. Um, and then, of course, Ambition by Harper. That's on Instagram. You got to follow that because we're coming out with... Um, some children's books this year. We're going to flood a lot of things that's happened with Ambasito. It's his own world, his own life. Um, and so I'm so excited um, for that. Um, but yeah, that's how you can reach me. And I'm here to help and anything. Oh, and for those that are foster care parents, uh, foster care parents, foster parents, um, I'm doing a series of panels in the month of May, virtually. So please reach out to me. Um, one of the weekends I won't be involved because I'm going to be in Atlanta with Ro. We got something coming. Um, we can't talk about that right now. But <laughs> other than that, I have a series of panels. And if you know anyone that needs to be nominated, 
who you believe is an amazing foster care parent that needs to really talk about their story and helping foster kids reach out to me so I can have them on a the panel and let the world know who are all these important souls that are helping foster kids. So, yep, that's it. Awesome. Thank you so much. I was just laughing while you said your Instagram, Facebook, social, all your social medias, because basically you was like, look, it's ambition to poet. If you don't know, now you know. It's ambition to it's poet everywhere. everything. <laughs> Google it, Instagram, Facebook. That's me. Look me up. I yep. love it, ambition. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Thank Enjoy you. your day. Have a good one. <laughs> you too.